Well, good morning. Uh, if you want to turn with me, we're going to be in John chapter 21 this morning. Uh, so I invite you to turn there. Um, can I, I'm going to explain a little bit about my ministry first uh, to kind of let you know who I am. Uh, my name is Justin May, and I do campus ministry at JMU, uh, just about an hour down the road. Uh, and you all as a congregation and as a church have supported my campus ministry and the campus ministry that I work for, really. Um, and, and here's what you go to support and what, you, what you're supporting in this campus ministry. First, uh, the important thing to remember is the name Christian Student Fellowship. Uh, I know there's a lot of acronyms that go on with uh, specifically our, our ministry, but Christian Student Fellowship is the name uh, of the organization on campus, uh, which is what, where a student can find us. Uh, and so here's what we do and, and, and the reason why we do it. First, uh, the reason why. Um, if there were 100 college students in here today uh, and say they've faithfully been attending church their entire life, within the first year of going to a college campus, somewhere around 75% of them would walk away from the church. Uh, and so there's a deep and desperate need on college campuses for ministries uh, who are serving Christ and teaching other people how to serve Him. Um, in fact, Generation Z, so the generation that's growing up right now, including the college students, um, they are twice as likely to claim atheism as the general population, meaning that all of our, uh, maybe excluding a couple of you that are Generation Z, but all of the rest of the adult population, somewhere around 6% of us in the United States would claim that, we're, that atheism, right? Generation Z, in just one generation, it's doubled to 13%. That 13% of them claim atheism. Um, they're in a dark and desperate time where their faith is, can no longer be mommy and daddy's faith, right? That it's got to become their faith. Uh, and so you all have helped us as a ministry be there on campus for the last four years. Um, here's what we do. So there's why. Now here's what we do. Uh, we, we do our best to connect uh, students to three different things, right? Uh, the three different things are first and foremost to Christ, uh, secondly to his church, and then to their community, right? Um, and, and, and let me explain to you how we're trying to do this on campus and, and what we're trying to do. Um, every single week, our, our primary ministry focus is on Bible study. Um, we hold somewhere between seven and ten uh, Bible studies on campus in public locations at JMU. There's a few that are held at our house during the evenings, uh, and then there's always one at Eastern Mennonite as well. Uh, and so we, we are focusing our time and effort on the Bible because, one, you know, we believe that you, how did you come to know who Christ is? You know, maybe your mom and dad, you grew up in church and they helped you know who Christ is, but ultimately the way you knew was because he told you who he was in his word, right? And so we believe that, that taking students through God's word uh, will inevitably teach them who Jesus is and help them you know, for their lives to look more like his. Um, in fact, we're, we're, we went through last year the book of John, and so they definitely got to hear about who Jesus is, and that's why we're in John chapter 21 this morning. I'm going to invite you into an a different type of Bible study, uh, but very similar to what we did with them. Um, secondly, uh, our job is to connect students uh, to his church, right? 
um, of that same generation, Generation Z, uh, they would say that 82% of them that go to church faithfully would say they find their lives purpose in his church, right? So then it becomes very important for us as a campus ministry to take students to church. Um, and a few years back, we were going to a church that was a church plant in Harrisonburg, uh, but things just didn't work out at the church plant. And so we had to make a decision of where we were going to go to church after that. Uh, we've been going to uh, Bridge Christian Church in Waynesboro, Virginia. It's about 30 minutes away from Harrisonburg. And we kind of worried that like, Hey, that decision of, of driving 30 minutes there and back, the extra hour would keep people from wanting to come to church, right? Uh, but we found, and specifically this year, this year we take just about 15 students every single week, and that's just freshmen, uh, every single week to church, um, which, which kind of adds up if you think about it. Uh, you know, I drive down on Sunday morning, pick the van up because I don't have room in my personal vehicle to take that many people. And so we want to make sure there's always arrangements for enough people. So we always have the van and one car at this point so that we can have enough room for everyone. Uh, and so we go pick up the van. We bring it back to Harrisonburg, 30 minutes. We, we drive around JMU picking up the freshmen that don't have vehicles but need a way to church. And we take it back to Waynesboro and back to Harrisonburg to drop them off and back to Waynesboro again. It usually averages somewhere around $35 to $40 in gas alone in that, uh, the 15-passenger van for us to be able to take students to church. Uh, we would not be able to do this unless we had churches who gave and supported our ministry. Uh, you all have given monthly uh, and, and what you give monthly more than covers our cost of gas alone uh, to church. We buy donuts every single morning for, for students as well, because what college student doesn't want some food? Uh, and so that expense usually, usually is somewhere between $160 to $200 a month. Uh, and you all have helped 15 freshmen who might slip through the cracks of faith. You've helped them find their life's purpose in God's church. And on behalf of those students and the students that, that you also have helped, uh, I just want to say thank you and thank you for being a part of our ministry. Last thing, uh, just, just, just a quick story, okay? Um, you know, we also are, are trying to help students to find their mission field, right? We believe that all of us within our community have a calling to be Christ's hands and feet. And so we're trying to help students find, hey, where, where do you fit into God's ministry? And wherever they go vocationally, whether they're a teacher or a nurse, uh, we believe that God's given them a mission field. Uh, one student in particular this year, uh, we met her the second week, I'm pretty sure it's second week, uh, Sunday that we were there. Uh, and she had just become a Christian only two weeks earlier. Uh, so she was brand new in faith, right? Uh, her name is Morgan Hennessy, and Morgan is actually going into campus ministry herself. She graduated with a degree in social work, social work, but decided that because someone was there for her, uh, she wants to turn around and, and help other students walk with Christ as well. So you see how the kingdom of God works, that when you send someone, that also that into disciples making disciples and sending other people. Uh, the, the span of what God is going to do 
uh, we will never know, right? Um, so there's my campus ministry and, and what we do. And if you have any questions, I'm going to stand in the back corner. Uh, specifically, if you have questions, you want to talk to me, I'd love to talk with you. Also, if you know a student who's going to a campus in Virginia this year, uh, I, I probably know someone, whether it be a campus ministry or an individual, I probably know someone at that campus and would love for them to have a Christian friend when they come to their college. So uh, let's pray for the sermon. And I invite you to pray one of two things, right? Uh, maybe even both. Uh, first, I, I want each of us to pray individually for our own hearts that God used this time of worship to convict and bring about his will in our lives. And secondly, that we pray for the words that I use, that they be from God's spirit uh, and from his word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. And God, we thank you for um, faithful believers uh, who have come to worship and to be a part of your kingdom. And God, we pray for... Um, uh, campus ministries across the state of Virginia and the, and the United States, God, that you raise up leaders in those campus ministries who will serve you faithfully, uh, raise up churches to become part of that ministry as well. And God, we thank you for uh, what you're doing here and now in this moment. God, teach us. Teach me, God. Open my heart to things unseen. God, use these words to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, John chapter 21, you can turn there in your Bible. Um, you, can, you can do it on your app on your phone, or you can awkwardly stare at me, whatever you want to do. Uh, but it's probably a good idea to read it in John chapter 21. Now, if you've ever read the book of John, you get to the end of chapter 20, and there's like a couple verses at the end of chapter 20, and you're like, hey, John, that's a good place to end. Good book. You did a good job. Pat him on the back, right? Uh, and yet, there's this one story that John wants us to hear because it becomes very important about how does God feel about us when we make mistakes. When we've been walking with him and yet we stray and have chose our own path, how does he feel about us? And this story is very important to that. Now, in case you didn't know, uh, college students don't always make the best choices, right? Um, and... and you know, there was this, a couple of years ago, game day was coming to JMU, college game day, which was a big deal, right? Uh, and we were all super excited, myself included. I was down there on the quad in that mass group of people waving my hands. Uh, and uh, before game day got there, I saw a student uh, who I knew and who had been a part of Bible study the year before, but was, you know, just went MIA on me. Uh, and... You know, he and I are very good friends, and to this day, we text and we call, and we're still good friends. And yet, when I get over to talk to him, I realize that he's not making choices that are very good choices, and he wasn't quite himself. And I go to talk to him, and he introduces me to his friend who's with him, and he, he puts his hands in his pockets, puts his head down, and he says, well, this is Justin, and, and he's a campus minister with Christian Student Fellowship. And he said, man, I used to do Christian Student Fellowship, but I don't anymore. Or maybe it's like uh, Cindy and I were on vacation just a few weeks ago, and we were in a camper, 
Uh, and across the street, you know, it's a very little street, uh, from this camper, there were these two little ladies, and they sat outside of their camper like all week. And we really got to know these people. We would wave by at them as we go to the beach, and we would go over and talk to them every single morning. Uh, and, and this inevitable question came up that can be kind of awkward for me. Um, the question was, well, what do you do for a living? <laughs> which can get real hairy for ministers sometimes, right? And I said, I, I, I'm a campus minister. And one of them immediately said, and my daughter still goes to church. But I don't do that anymore. And I wonder when we, when we make mistakes, do we choose to run as far away from God as we possibly can run, right? That we don't want to deal with the guilt and the shame that comes along with the choice that we made, so we run. While all along the way, he had something for us. I wonder if you've ever seen this movie that has this character in it. Um, anybody ever seen this movie? You know what movie it's from? Someone tell me, what movie? Yeah, it's from The Lion King. Anybody know this dude's name? It's Mufasa. And if you've ever watched this movie, man, you fall in love with this character from the very beginning of the movie, right? He's a good king. He is a good provider. He loves his wife. And you can clearly see that he teaches his kid. It's like, man, he is, he is the man. And then there's this weird scene as a kid. I remember it because I'm a Disney kid. And I was like, wait, what are you doing to me, Disney? Uh, and you, you remember his brother throws him off of the, into the ravine of wildebeest, and the wildebeest you know, trample him. And as the dust settles, he doesn't get up. <laughs> and as a kid, I can remember looking at my mom, and like, uh, hello, what's, what's going on here? Son is quickly convinced that he contributed to the death of his father. Anybody remember what does he do? He runs away as far away from what he thought he contributed to and tried to find his own akuna matata with a warthog and a meerkat, right? <laughs> and I wonder if we were honest with ourselves how many of us are trying to find our own akuna matata while all along the way, man, God has a plan and a purpose for us. So here's, here's what John speaks into this situation for us in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse 1 says this, After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, uh, kind of have to get a little bit, a little bit of the backstory on this specific circumstance. Something happened to Peter in chapter 18 of the book of John, and he does something three different times. Someone remind me what what does he do in chapter 18 three different times? You might know. That's right. He denies when Jesus, his best friend, is in the greatest moment of need in his life. He says, not, not me. I'm not a part of that group, right? And then 
afterwards, we begin to see what does Peter think about himself. Um, you know, uh, he, he decides, he says, I'm going out to fish, right? Now, as you read and you want to learn about this, some commentaries are very easy on Peter, and they're like, you know, he was just trying to, you know, he was commanded to go and wait, and so he was waiting on Jesus in Galilee, uh, and he was just waiting, right? Uh, and other commentaries say, man, no, 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 no. When, when Peter said he's going fishing, he was going back to his career in order to make a life for himself. I tend to agree with, with, with option number two. Let me illustrate it for you a little bit. If, if I say I'm going to play basketball, what, well, if you look at me, you look at my stature and, and maybe my belly, and you say, well, he's going out back and he's going to do the best he can to get the ball in the hoop, Right? If Michael Jordan, when he makes the statement that he's leaving baseball and going back and he's going to play basketball, what do you think? Well, he's going to make a career for himself, right? When Peter says, I'm going out to fish, what did he do when he was originally called to be a disciple? Man, he was a fisherman. And he said, all I'm good for now is to go fishing. He's been called into a greater purpose of life, and yet how he sees himself is that he should just go fishing, right? And he's fishing on the, the Sea of Galilee with his friends, and they're out all night long, and the Bible says they catch nothing. Now, I looked that word up in Greek, and that word means Nothing. <laughs> they didn't catch anything all night, right? These dudes who were once fishermen uh, catch nothing, and then something happens that's a miracle, and Jesus calls him back into his mission for the kingdom of God. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, or little children, some translations say. Have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And then when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Has anybody ever heard of this miracle before? Have you heard it before? Well, let me, let me tell you, this miracle actually occurs in two different places in the New Testament. Now, sometimes in the Gospels you read these uh, stories and sometimes it's the same miracle and yet it's just recorded by someone differently, by Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John, right? And, and we know that in Luke chapter 5 is the other place that this miracle occurs and we know it's a different miracle. These are two separate miracles because the circumstance around the miracle is different. And I'm willing to bet that most of you, when you heard this, you thought of that other miracle, even though you may not have known that. You remember Jesus gets into a boat with a man named Peter. He teaches from the Sea of Galilee, and he teaches the crowd on the shore. And he says to Peter, after he's done teaching, he says, let's go back out and fish. What's Peter's response? Peter's like, you're a carpenter. You don't know anything about fishing. Why are we going out to fish? I've fished all night and I haven't caught anything. And Jesus tells him to go out and cast his net on the other side. And what happens? There's so many fish 
that, all, that two boats almost capsized because of the number of fish. Remember the words that Jesus said to Peter? He said, I will make you a fisher of men. When Peter was originally called, it was with the exact same miracle that he's recalled in chapter 21 of the book of John. And how many of us, when we think about God, we think that God, when we've walked away and chose our own path, is on the shore shaking his finger or shaking his fist at us and yelling and saying, I had a greater mission for you, and yet you're out fishing and you're wasting your time, right? And what does this do? He calls him back. The same way that he originally called him. If you've chose to walk away and stray from God's path, he is not calling you back through guilt and shame and punishment. And he's calling you back the same way he originally called you. With grace, mercy, and freedom in his name, right? All right, let's keep going to see how this story continues to unfold. Verse 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he raised from the dead. Now, there's a couple of interesting things in this, this story that tell us how God feels about us when we make mistakes. One, one thing that's interesting that doesn't really have anything to do with it is that someone sat down and counted all these fish. That's pretty interesting, right? You know, one of the disciples is sitting on the shore going, one, two, three, wait, wait, hold on, Jesus, four, five, six. Uh, so someone counted them. We don't know why, but there's 153 large fish that they caught, right? The other interesting thing is, the, is what Peter observes you know, he swims to shore, and the Bible says that he and John observed three different things when they reached the shore. What were the three different things? So this is the time in the sermon where I ask a question, and you answer. <laughs> what were the three things that they observed? Someone help me. The most interesting of the things that they observed was something called coals of fire. Let's take a time out on it. I'll come back to it. What are the other two? 
Yeah, they come in, they come, they're conjoined, right? Bread and fish. Did Jesus need the provisions of the fish that they caught? And they get to shore and he's already provided for them. You and I think Jesus, you know, just floats around on clouds, right? And yet the Messiah, the Savior of the universe, is sitting on the bank and he's flipping the fish, right? <laughs> and he's inviting them into a meal with him. Who do, you, who do you invite into a meal? The people you want to spend time with, right? The people you want to be a part of your life. Let's go back to the first thing they saw. They saw coals of fire. And that's very interesting because that word only occurs two times in the entire New Testament. In Greek, it only occurs two times. Now, the first is in John chapter 18, the very first time that Peter denies Jesus. And you remember Peter's outside and what's he doing? He's warming himself by what John says is the burning coals of fire. And a little girl comes up to him and says, aren't you one of them? And he says, not me. And I wonder when, when Peter swims to the shore and he sees the burning coals of fire, if he's automatically reminded of his greatest failure in life. Don't know if Peter's reminded of it, but John for sure wanted to make the connection and show us how God and Jesus are redeeming the story of Peter, right? That, that Peter doesn't have to come to a burning coal of fire and be reminded of his greatest failure. He can come to it and be reminded of the redemption and the mission of God, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That word, these, is very interesting because it's a neuter word. And it means that it could be one, do you love me more than the disciples? Or the other way, which is interesting as well, do you love me more than these fish? And Simon, the son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. <laughs> Let's make some connections here. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times in, in John chapter 21 was he reaffirmed? into his mission. And Jesus wasn't simply redeeming just the story, but he's also redeeming the circumstances for Peter. Can I overcomplicate it just a little bit? Everybody cool with that? Just, just a little bit, all right? You ever heard the word agape? Uh, if, you've been, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard a, a preacher say this. Well, Jesus asked the verb form of this 
the word agape. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when it describes the God, uh, it's using that word. And Jesus says to Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me like God? And Peter says something very interesting. Peter says, "Mm, I philos you. Now, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? Philos means, no, I love you like a brother. The second time Jesus says, do you love me with 100%? Peter says, yeah, 70. (laughs) And you think in your good biblical mind that all of a sudden Peter's going to wake up and change his mind and say, I love God with everything I have. And yet Jesus says, do you philos me? All right, Peter, do you love me like a brother? And it hurt Peter. You know why it hurt Peter? Because he realized that the best that he could love God with was 70%. The best that he could offer was brotherly love. And he says, yes, Lord, you know I feel I you. And yet, what does, what does Jesus do with Peter? He takes where he is, meets him where he is, and uses it to move forward, right? He says, all right, let's redeem this circumstance. Let's redeem this story. and Let's move forward. Go, feed my sheep then. Take care of my lambs. Anybody a Croc fan like the, the shoes Crocs? Uh, I am a huge fan of Crocs. Uh, you know, my 13-year-old niece asked for Crocs this year for her birthday, and I'm like, yeah, they're coming back in style. Look, I'm popular again. But uh, Crocs are a dangerous pair of shoes, right? You know, specifically, you, know, you go to Walmart on those slick floors, you got a brand new pair of Crocs, and I'm like the world's worst for like shuffling my feet as I walk. And what happens in Crocs is you shuffle your feet in Walmart, and then things like they grab that floor and you almost fall and bust your face in Walmart. And that wouldn't be fun, right? And so you decide, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to start high-stepping uh, so that I don't fall into that trap anymore. But what happens? Well, you stop thinking about it and eventually you walk along, boom! <laughs> Can we get serious? And how many of us, the sin that we sin this week, it's the same sin we sinned last week. Or the same sin that we've been plagued with our entire life, right? <laughs> that we continue to fall into the same trap over and over and over again. And I wonder, why is that? I tend to think it's the same thing that's going on for Peter here. That Jesus is not only redeeming us as people and our story, but he's also redeeming circumstances. And that he's giving us the opportunity that it can be different in his name, right? That, that when I come up to that temptation, the same one that I continue to fall in, I can come up to it and say, thank you, God, that you redeemed this circumstance. And walk away and it be something different. But here's what's happened to us in Christianity. You and I are listening what everyone else says about us, right? <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, I had a nickname, uh, and it was Mr. Spill It. Uh, and in case you didn't know, that will scar a kid, right? 
Uh, this is a picture of me and my twin brother. Uh, everybody say, aw. Oh, man, let's try that again. Everybody say, aw. And them are cute kids. Come on, guys. But my parents called me Mr. Spill, and I'm a 30-year-old man, and they still call me Mr. Spill it on occasion. Well, what happens to a kid when you call him Mr. Spill it? You hand him a glass of water, and you know, I grab onto that glass of water as tight as I possibly can hold it, right? Because I refuse to be Mr. Spill it. And you walk as tight, and you hold that glass of water, and what inevitably happens? Because you're only paying attention to the glass of water. Well, of course, you're going to spill it, right? And I wonder how many times are we listening as Christians, we're listening to what the world says about us. You know how I know we're listening to what the world says? Because of the things we say. We say things like, I can't do that. Or I'm not good enough. Or even worse, I'm good for nothing. While all along the way in this story, Jesus is telling us something that he tells us in Romans chapter 8. He says, man, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And Christians, we can walk in a newness of life because God is for us, Right? I want to close with one last illustration here. Um, I'm not a parent, and I don't have any kids. I've got like 10 nieces and nephews. Uh, so I've been around kids a, a long time in my life, and, and I kind of know how to work with kids, right? Now, you may have kids here today, and they're in a different part of the building. Now, say I walk out this building, and I go out there to the parking lot, and I see your little kid running towards the road. What am I going to do? Bye! See ya! <laughs> Hope it goes well for you! Of course not, right? I'm going to grab your, your kid and stop them because I can see the fullness of the story. I can see that the circumstance that they're getting ready to meet is worse than me stopping them. I wonder, man, how many of us as Christ followers are in this room God is trying to stop us from something. And it hurts, right? <laughs> it's not easy. It's not fun. But he sees the fullness of the story. And he says, man, the outcome of where you're heading is worse than me stopping you. He offers us a fullness of life. To live in his name. That's, that's the story that he's given us. The future. A hope. Let's pray. God, our Father, we just thank you. We thank you so much for that who you are, that you redeem stories and circumstances. And God, even when we choose to walk away, God, that you break up our ship and that you stop us And call us back into your mission. God, I pray for every individual in this room. If they are not a follower of yours, God, they, they begin to see your grace and mercy. Your fullness of life. And God, for everyone that is a believer, 
God, stop us. <laughs> stop us when we're walking away. and Help us live in a newness of life with you. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.